great to be with you again as we're going to be concluding this series called How to Ruin Your Life. And as we've been in this series, we've been exploring, well, pretty simply, how, how do people ruin their lives? And we use the example of King David as one of the, the great examples of someone who made choices in their lives that could have led to ruin, but, and thankfully there's a but, we're going to get into the but today, uh, it worked out for good because of certain things they did. And so the question throughout the series is being, has been, what do you do if you ruin your life? What do you do if you ruin your life? Now, some of us, we might think, well, you know, that seems a little bit extreme, just this whole term of ruining your life. It, the idea that uh, you could make choices and then there was no way to come back from it. And it is extreme. And it's extreme for a reason, is because sometimes we feel like we have done things or we have chosen things and we cannot come back from them. Sometimes like we feel like decisions that even are not made by us but made for us seem irreparable, like we can't fix them, like there's no way to come back from the mistakes or the decisions, and we feel like our life is ruined. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, what do we do if we find ourselves in that place? My hope is that you never find yourself in that place. You never, for a moment, think, wow, my life is ruined, or there's nothing I can do to fix my marriage, my job, my friendship, my schooling. My hope is you never get there. But chances are you've already been there. Chances are you've already had moments where you wish you could do them over, where you wish they wouldn't have turned out or are not turning out the way they have so far. Chances are you would like to fix mistakes. So let's talk about that today. Let's talk about what David did so that he could not make the mistake go away, but move forward from it. So as we've been together for the last three weeks, and this is our fourth week in the series, we've looked at how some of the decisions David made in his time of being king led to the situation he found himself where he essentially took advantage, raped Bathsheba. We looked at first how he isolated himself from people who would challenge him. His nephew, who was one of the leaders in the army, he sent him off to war while he stayed back. His nephew was someone who would have challenged him, would have told him not to do certain things, and so he took him out of the situation. He isolated himself from anyone who would challenge him as king in what he would do. As well, he also let his boredom lead him. He found himself bored because he was supposed to be going to do something, but instead he stayed back. He was supposed to be going out to lead in war. Instead, he stayed back in his palace. And he found himself bored walking the rooftop at night and peering on a woman who was bathing. And he let his boredom get the better of him. He let his lack of fulfillment drive him which led him to a place where he took advantage of her and impregnated her. And as he impregnated Bathsheba, he thought that he knew what was best to get out of the situation. So he invited her husband back from war to hopefully sleep with her. He even got her husband drunk so he would sleep with her. But her husband, Uriah, was a person of character and didn't do the things David thought he would do. So David got him killed. And that's how David set himself up 
to ruin his life. And we all do things at times where we isolate ourselves from people who would challenge us, where we allow ourselves our lack of fulfillment to be our guide, so we look for fulfillment in places we shouldn't, where we allow ourselves to try and think we could fix our problems and end up making bigger mistakes. We get into these situations in our marriages, in our friendships, in our jobs, all the time. So how do we get out of it? Well, throughout the history of the people of God, God has sent people to help people get out of it. And they have a specific term, and that is prophets. God sends prophets, and we see them a lot in the Old Testament, those who are familiar with it. If you're joining us with our one-year Bible reading, you've been reading through some of the prophets right now, and you've seen how these prophets, people who were sent to speak for God to God's people, would challenge God's people in their attitudes, in their behaviors, in their beliefs. And as they are challenged, they are given an opportunity to respond. And the challenges are usually around their lack of faithfulness to God and their pursuit of injustice as opposed to justice. And so these prophets get sent by God over and over again through history to bring God's people back to him, ultimately leading to Jesus being the archetype of the primary prophet we should follow as a person who is God in the flesh, who demonstrates how we should live because of who he is. So David, as someone who had made decisions to lead himself away from God, gets confronted by a prophet. And that prophet is going to help him get on the right path. So let's jump into chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. And as we're in 2 Samuel, we'll see what happens in this story. So it starts like this. It says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. So Nathan is the prophet. He sends him to David, the king. It says very specifically, the Lord sent Nathan to David. So God is intervening in the moments of this story. God is stepping in to rescue David, even though he might not realize it. When he came to him, he said, there, are, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for one who had come for the one who had come to him. Nathan tells him this story. And so for a lot of us, we could look at the story and say, oh, well, Nathan's telling him a parable. Some of us are familiar with parables. Jesus uses parables to illustrate a point throughout his ministry on earth to show how people need to come back to God. But at this point, there's no indication that this is actually a parable. For David hearing this, this wouldn't have been out of the ordinary. David, in his role as king, also played the role of judge for his people. 
Now, he didn't judge over everything, but he had a role to decide matters of justice for his people. And so when Nathan brings this story to him, all that David might be thinking is, well, Nathan is coming to tell me of something that actually is happening, and we need to respond to it. David, as king, is working to fulfill his role as king to enact a judgment upon this person who he doesn't know who it is, just Nathan is brought to him, who has done something of injustice towards another person. David is not thinking this is a made-up story at this point. David is just thinking, okay, I've got to do what I do. I've got to be the judge. So it says that David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, Surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. David is so upset at this act of injustice. He is so upset. He says, what this man deserves is death. He deserves death because he took advantage of someone who had nothing. He took advantage of someone who had so little that he loved it so much. And this rich person had everything he could have had. Yet he took advantage and he took the thing he should not have taken. David, in his mind, in this moment, is just thinking this is what the right judgment is. The right judgment for someone who takes something from someone else to this extreme is death. Why was he so angry? I don't know. Maybe because he's been bored. Maybe because he's feeling a little guilty of some of the stuff he's done. But he's angry, and he's burning with anger, the text tells us. And then he's burning with anger. He says, my judgment is this. We need to find that guy. We need to put him to death. He needs to definitely repay to an extreme amount. And this is where it gets fun. It says, then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul, the former king who was persecuting David. He was hunting him down, trying to kill him. I gave, you, I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little... I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your household will come, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against 
the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born of you, of you to you will die. Nathan confronts David about what he did. And David is faced with incredible consequences to his actions. God says to him that there will be consequences to this, that the things that you took are actually going to be taken from you. Your wives are going to be taken from you. This is a horrible situation you got yourself into, David. And David has an opportunity to respond to this, to this challenge, to this prophet who is saying what you did is wrong. And just like us, when someone challenges us about what we've done or what we're doing, we have a choice in how we respond. David could have been like Saul, the king before him, who, when challenged by Samuel about what he was doing, fought against it, didn't admit to his mistakes, and made things even worse. David, like us, is faced with an opportunity to respond to the truth of the matter, to the truth of what has happened and what he has done. And he has the choice in what it will look like after that. Like us, he could simply just ignore it, say, yeah, that's too bad. I'm the king. Who cares? Like us, he could fight against it. He says, well, you don't know what I've been through lately. It's really stressful being king. Sometimes you make poor choices. He could have tried to avoid. He could have tried to deflect like sometimes we do when we make choices that aren't wise. He could have tried to get out of it in so many different ways, but instead, instead, says, I have sinned against the Lord. He admits his mistake. He accepts his mistake. How do we respond to prophets? To people who speak into moments in our lives where we have made poor choices. And it's not just people, like a person walking on the street comes up and talks to you, and they say they're a prophet. That might feel really weird, and I probably wouldn't trust them if they did that. But God has sent prophets throughout history. And in fact, we have a collection of them through Scripture leading to Jesus, telling us what it looks like to follow God, to be people who follow God. What happens when you read what they've already said and it speaks into moments and decisions of your life that go against what God wants? How do you respond to prophets? How do you respond to Jesus? The one who we sing about with amazing grace also says there's a certain way of following me that looks a certain way. How do we respond when the way we're living isn't meeting the way he's inviting us to? Do we go, well, the times are different. Things are different now. Well, you don't know how tough it is these days. Or do we go, yes, how do I move on from here? David is confronted by an actual physical prophet, a person who speaks into his moments and confronts him about what he does through telling the story of judgment. And David is convicted because he realized the way he would pass judgment on someone else is the way that God should pass judgment on him. And he says, I have sinned. And there's still consequences to it. Well, Nathan says there is forgiveness for it, that he is not holding your sin against you, he still has the consequence that his child is unfortunately going to die. 
Sometimes even when we admit that we've done wrong and we want to make things better, it doesn't mean the consequences go away. Maybe you confess to your spouse of something you did and you think, well, this will make it better, but it doesn't. It doesn't mean you shouldn't confess. Maybe you tell your boss that you've actually been <laughs> skipping work the past few days when you said you've been working from home and you lose your job. It was a dishonest thing to do, and there's consequences to it, even if you confess it. Just because you admit you're wrong doesn't mean the consequences go away. But it does allow the opportunity for God's forgiveness to start to be what guides your life instead of the mistakes you've made. It allows for the opportunity for you to change behavior based on your experience and not let your experience be what guides you over and over again and not be what you try to cover up over and over again. When David is confronted by Nathan, he is faced with that opportunity that we all have of what do you do when you've really messed up? And he chose a better path, admitting it. In fact, one of the Psalms, Psalm 51, David writes this psalm as almost a confession, as a a response to what has happened, a response to the fact that he's been confronted by Nathan and he has sinned. And so Psalm 51, David writes this. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You are God, my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bowls will be offered on your altar." David is faced with the reality of what he's done, and he pens this poem, this spiritual song, that reflects who God is, the one who forgives, and who he is, the sinner. And also reflects what he will do 
because he realizes God has been gracious to him. In the same way, we each are faced with these moments where we have done something. Maybe we have isolated ourselves. Maybe we have let Borden lead us. Maybe we have tried to cover up our shame, our sin, and we've made things worse. And we are faced with these moments. How do I respond? And we might not have a physical person like Nathan coming to us and saying, you are the person who did wrong. But we have a God who is speaking to us always through the Holy Spirit inviting us to change, to recognize, to admit, to accept, to confess. And when we do, we have the opportunity to change our story for the better. David's story could have ended that he was an awful person who got another man's wife pregnant through forced coercion and then gets him killed. But his story doesn't end there. It is awful what he did and makes it pretty clear there are consequences to his actions. But his story can be redeemed, can be restored, and it was, just like ours can. So what did David do to right his wrong, to stop ruining his life? Well, I think it's the... ACBs to stop ruining your life. And I really wish I could do ABCs because it would have been way better, but the order doesn't work. So David did certain things. The first thing he did was an A, which was accept responsibility. He accepted the responsibility. Once he recognized the wrong he did, he said, yes, I did. It doesn't mean that what he did is all forgotten and everything's good. It means that he accepted responsibility for what he did. How often do we try to avoid responsibility? Maybe we're not doing so well at work or at school and we say, well, you know, I've been really busy with other stuff. Or, oh, I didn't get this done today because I had this other thing or this person was talking to me and maybe they shouldn't have been talking to me. We don't, we try to avoid it. We try to deflect responsibility. David doesn't reflect, deflect his responsibility. He accepts it. He says, I am the one who did it. I admit it. How different would our conversations, would our relationships be that once we're challenged on something we do, we actually admit, yeah, I messed up. How different would politics be if politicians actually said, yep, I didn't do what I said I was going to do. How different would our world be if we all did that? Accept responsibility. It's the first thing David does to stop ruining his life. The second thing he does is he confesses to someone. Ultimately, we should confess to God, admit our wrongs to God, but he does it to a someone. And there is a big difference in our lives when we have people who we can allow or we let hold us accountable and we admit our wrong to. I am so very grateful for the friendships I have with people who want the best for me who love me no matter what, and even when I mess up, I can confess to them. And they don't say, wow, you're an awful person. I never want to talk to you again. But they say, we've been there too. How do we move forward? Nathan is the person who accepts the confession of David. When we go to a person, it allows us an opportunity to move forward in a healthy way. Yes, we need to confess to God. That's our primary confession. When we admit our wrong, 
when we admit what we've done and how we need to move forward. But a lot of us can really ignore God well. Because usually we don't think God's in the room with us. Usually we don't realize how close God actually is and actually that God is close to us within each other as well. And so it's really easy for us to ignore the confession when it's just to God. But when we have people who we love, who we trust, who love us, who will challenge us, it helps us to move forward much better than we realize. And the third thing that he does, and it comes up throughout the psalm, is that he behaves differently. He behaves differently. He says that from his lips he will sing praises. From, he's, you know, he's not asking for sacrifice. He's asking for his heart to be changed. When we want to stop ruining our lives, we have to make adjustments to our behavior. If David was to say, yeah, I've done wrong, yeah, I'm sorry, but I'm going to keep sleeping with other people's wives, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. If we want to stop the patterns that we find ourselves in, if we want to make choices to improve, to be in line with what God desires for us so that we can experience that life in the fullness that Jesus offers, we have to behave differently. We can't keep doing the same things and expecting different results. David had to change, and change is hard. But it helps when we have people who are walking with us, who want the best for us, who are safe people but not soft people. They will challenge us when they need to be challenged and who will journey with us when we mess up again and need to be reminded that God's grace is enough for us and we can still improve. David makes these choices to stop ruining his life. And the question becomes, do we make the same ones? Will we make decisions to accept our responsibility? Will we make decisions to speak to people, to confess our wrong? Will we make decisions that are different in behavior than what we've done to get us in the spots we find ourselves now? If we answer no to any of those, We're just going to ruin our lives. We need to answer yes to all of them. My prayer and my hope for you is that you never have to answer yes because you've always been doing it. And you're never going to get into a situation like David because you are so much smarter than him. But most of us aren't. But doesn't mean that your story has to end with the decisions, the mistakes that you've made. We have a God who is incredibly gracious, a God who forgives us through Christ, that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have forgiveness of sins, the decisions that we've made along our paths that may have led to ruin or may have just distanced us from what we've always been meant to be. There is forgiveness for it and opportunity to start again. When we accept our responsibility, admit to our wrongs, confess to God, to someone else, and choose to behave differently. We start walking down a path, not to ruin, but to redemption, to restoration, to reward. 
and it's a path that all of us can take through Jesus. My prayer for you is that you recognize this opportunity and you embrace this opportunity to be made brand new, to not be stuck in where you've been, but to move forward and start over. Let's take a moment to pray. God, I thank you that you are a God who invites us to this new opportunity. This new opportunity to not continue down the paths we've been down, to not think that we've figured it all out and we can do it on our own, but to embrace your way to being made new, to starting over. And God, I think there might be some of us today who need to make that decision to move away from ruin and move towards restoration. And if we need to, let's not delay in that choice. It starts with our acceptance of what we've done. Holy Spirit, help us to accept what we've done, to admit to it, to confess it, and to change. I pray that as we move forward and as we think about what it is you have for us, we allow ourselves to not be proud, but to be humble and to submit to you and to be made new again. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.